so if you have a Bible or your phone or you want to follow along on the screen, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. And we're making our way through what is the conclusion to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you recall from our last gathering, Jesus ends his sermon in a very notable way. He doesn't uh, tell some thought-provoking story that tugs at our emotions. He doesn't give us this big motivational call to action. He doesn't give us a practical three-step application to his teachings. He doesn't do any of that, things that we would normally do. Instead, he concludes his sermon with three warnings. Last week, we looked at Jesus' first warning. Jesus says, uh, what he said in the last passage was that if we hear his teachings, we are faced with an unavoidable choice between two ways. The wide and the easy way that is chosen by many, or the narrow and the hard way that's chosen by few. Jesus says the wide and the easy way is basically living however I want to live. I put my desires, my needs over the needs of others. I elevate my definition of what's good and what's evil over Jesus' definition. This is the you-do-you way, okay, or look out for number one way. And in our individualistic culture, this way fits very nicely in with the rest of, of the world around us. Because of that, this way is easy. I just do what I want. I do what feels best. But Jesus warns us that though it is easy, this way leads to, in his words, destruction. Destruction of relationships. Destruction of God's creation and destruction of myself. Instead, Jesus invites us to choose the narrow and the hard way. This is the way of apprenticeship to Jesus. The way of following after Jesus. This is the way of humility and compassion. This is the way of radical generosity and hospitality. This is the way of unconditional, self-sacrificial love. It's the way that Jesus lived. He invites us to live that way. This way is hard because it runs in direct opposition to the way that our world teaches us to live, including, including sometimes our Christian world. And it inevitably leads to collision with the culture around us. But despite the challenges and the risks of this narrow way of living, Jesus says it is the way to true life. So the question that we asked last gathering is this, which way are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the wide and the the easy way or the narrow and the hard way? Well, that brings us to Jesus' second warning, which we're going to look at today. And So if I were to survey this room and ask you each to list the three factors that have most shaped you, my guess is that most of you, if not all of you, would name at least one person as being a primary influence over your way of life or the person that you've become. Our values, our convictions, our priorities, our perspective on the world, our way of life is shaped by the people in our lives. For better or for worse, people shape us, particularly people in positions of authority in our lives. Mentors, teachers, parents, even pastors, okay? These people, in one way or another, have influenced the way you live. Sometimes in good ways, sometimes in not so good ways. Jesus knows this. He knows the impact that these people have uh, uh, on our way of life. 
And it's because of this that he gives us the second warning. So we're going to read it together on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Let me just pause for a moment and pray for us, okay? Because this is, once again, rather heavy stuff, right? Father, I just invite you right now, I I know as I read that, God, that for some of us, some heavy emotions came up. And I just right now, God, want to ask you to take hold of our hearts, to take hold of our minds, to ease any anxiousness or fear that we might feel. And I ask you to speak to us. Speak to us your, your sweet words of encouragement and love and healing and help us to take away from this passage what you intend us to, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what, what's the warning? What's the warning that Jesus gives? He says, watch out, right? Watch out for false prophets. Okay, now a quick definition, because I think this word prophet can create some confusion. What is a prophet? A prophet, in the biblical sense, is simply someone who speaks on behalf of God. In the Old Testament, prophets would pass along instruction, encouragement, and warnings to God's people. So they were not like fortune tellers. They didn't sit there and give these kind of vague, mystical visions about the future. They did some of that, but most of what they did was just speak the words of God to his people, whether it be instruction, encouragement, or warnings. So God gives prophets to his people to be guides for them along the way. Jesus is a prophet. He's more than that, but he is the epitome of, of a biblical prophet. So let's think about this. If our way matters so much to Jesus, as we talked about last gathering, then the people who guide us along the way must matter as well. If we have people speaking into our lives in meaningful ways, then we must be attentive and aware of where they are leading us, the way that they are taking us on. And we all have people like this. Okay, you might not call them prophets. Does anyone have a prophet? Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't have anyone I call a prophet. But pastors, mentors, teachers, spiritual directors, authors, bloggers, podcasters. Okay, these people influence your way of thinking about life, about God, 
about the world. They speak into your lives in meaningful ways. And the question that Jesus puts before you is this, which way are these people leading you? Are they leading you down the wide and the easy way to destruction, or are they leading you down the narrow and the hard way to life? So watch out for the false prophet. Watch out for the person who says they are speaking for God, but in reality, they are taking you down a path that does not lead to the life that Jesus wants for you. So how do we tell the false prophet from the true prophet? Well, that gets tricky. So look at verse 15. We can go to the next slide. In verse 15, Jesus says, A false prophet comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Okay, so the false prophet appears to be a sheep. They appear to be following after Jesus, but they are actually a wolf in disguise. Okay, they are a predator. They are dangerous. They are destructive. They are out for blood. Okay, that's the image that Jesus is giving us here. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse. He says in, in the message translation, he says, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off in some way or another. I hope you're not thinking of me as, as you read that. That's, that's my hope. I've been thinking about that all week. <laughs> this smile is very sincere. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Um, so a false prophet is not what they seem. Okay, they are often not easy to spot, which is why Jesus has to warn us in the first place. You can't just walk down the street. Like, I can't just put up a list of all the false prophets in Knoxville. I know some of you really want me to do that, but I can't. Um, they're not easy to spot. Okay, they're, they're, they're just, they, they look, they play the part. They look like they have it all together, which is why they're so destructive, which we'll get to in a minute. So we can't easily identify a false prophet by appearance, okay, the things they say, what they do, how they present themselves. Then how do we tell if they're a false prophet? Well, verse 17 says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So now Jesus gives us an image of a tree. This is a common, common image in Jesus' teachings and all through the New Testament. Though a, a tree may appear healthy, though it may appear vibrant, though it may appear full of life, what really matters is the fruit that it produces. If a tree produces rotten fruit or no fruit at all, it doesn't matter how good it looks, it's a bad tree. Okay, we have an apple tree right now. It's growing really tall. It looks great. Not getting many apples, so something's wrong. I think we know what's wrong. We'll figure it out. Um, it's not the tree's fault. It was our fault. Uh, but a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. So just as the measure of a good tree is the fruit it produces, the measure of a true prophet is his or her fruit. So what does Jesus mean by fruit? Well, um, unfortunately, uh, over, over the last couple decades, or at least since I've been paying attention, uh, there have been countless high-profile scandals involving pastors and other faith leaders. And I'm sure some of you, I'm sure all of you have heard of some of them. Some of you may have heard uh, of many of them. Uh, every time another scandal breaks, I mean, I don't know about you all, but it's just, it's just gut-wrenching. It's so awful and so destructive, so antithetical to what Jesus wants for his church. 
And what's so often uh, destructive about these scandals is that the people who are involved, uh, who are hurt by these, feel completely misled. They thought the pastor was one thing, but he turned out to be something else. They thought the pastor was a sheep, but he turned out to be a wolf. And, and typically, I don't know if you've followed any of these, but typically what happens when a scandal involving a pastor comes to light is we find out that there was a group of people around that pastor, elders, staff members, other pastors, who either knew about the pastor's problems or at least knew something was off even if they didn't have all the details. And despite knowing, they did nothing. Or worse, they actively tried to cover it up. Their excuse often goes something like this. I knew it was wrong. I knew something should be done. But look at the fruit. Look at the growth. Look at the success of his ministry. In other words, they would dismiss or hide abusive, predatory, and destructive behavior because of the fruit of the pastor's ministry. Now, the question is, is this really the fruit that Jesus is talking about? Is this what Jesus means when he says fruit? Is ministry success what Jesus is most concerned about? No, right? A big no. Very clear. Fruit throughout scripture does not refer to talent. It doesn't refer to ministry success. It doesn't refer to wealth or productivity. Fruit, in the way that Jesus uses it and other writers of the New Testament, refers to character. It refers to what naturally comes out of you as you abide in Jesus. Galatians 5 verse 22 says, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul says this is what happens when you live a life rooted in the way and the person of Jesus. Not ministry success, but character. So is the prophet or is that leader or pastor, are they loving? Do they have a joy that's not... A, a subject to their circumstance? Are they patient? Are they kind? Are they faithful to their commitments and to their relationships? Are they gentle? Do they have self-control? These are the sorts of things that Jesus is talking about. Eugene Peterson, again, does a great job at putting this verse into context. He writes, don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. I don't know about you, but this is different from what I often hear when I hear the term false prophet or false teacher. What is often meant with those words, or what often comes to my mind at least, is someone who is teaching something that is not doctrinally correct. Okay, it's not in line with scripture. Now that's important, and there are other passages that get at that a little bit more. But, but Jesus uh, here seems to be more concerned, or, or is certainly more concerned, with the character of the prophet rather than the teaching of the prophet. Okay, so as I stand up here, um, I, I'll be honest, I say things that are incorrect. 
not intentionally, but I do. And most, some of you know it. Um, some of you let me know. Not really. Um, but that's not, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. He's, he's not as concerned about the content of what they say, though some of that matters. What he's really concerned about is, is their character, how they live, what naturally comes out, to, out of them when no one's watching as they follow after Jesus. You will recognize them by their fruit, not their success, not their talent or abilities, but by their character. Now, in these last three verses, Jesus really gets at the root of the issue. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? In other words, look at the fruit of our ministry. Look at all the successes we had. Look at all we did for you. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is a serious statement, a heavy statement that Jesus makes here. There are people who have been given the gift of prophecy, who have been given the ability to cast out demons and perform miracles, who will one day face the hard reality that though they did all these things for Jesus, they didn't even know Jesus. And this word know is important. Jesus isn't talking about head knowledge. He's not talking about a general awareness like, oh, yeah, I know of that person. He's not even talking about familiarity like, yeah, I know Bob. I see him every once in a while. I say hi. Okay, the word that Jesus used here, this word for know, refers to a deep intimacy. It's the same word used throughout the Bible for sexual intimacy. Jesus is saying here, you may know my name. You may do a bunch of things for me. me. You You may even talk to me every so often, but you don't know me. You aren't rooted in me. You don't have that deep intimacy that I long to have with you. And notice that when they're confronted by Jesus, these prophets, they still don't make any effort to know Jesus. Okay, they don't say, uh, you know, I know I missed it, but I, I do want to know you now. Okay, I do, Jesus, he's not saying it's too late. He's, they just are showing no interest in actually getting to know him in that moment. They just list all these things that they've done. But Jesus is not impressed by their ministry success. He's not impressed by their religious activities. He's not impressed by what they've done for him. He wants to know them. He wants to spend time with them. He wants to show his love to them. Imagine, this is how I've been thinking about this. Like, imagine having a child, and no matter how often you ask, no matter how available you are, they won't just sit and be with you. They won't spend time getting to know you. Day after day, they ignore every advance you make. They won't even allow you to speak to them. You want to encourage them. You want to tell them what you think about them, but they won't even give you a moment of their attention. You want to tell them how much you love them, but they won't stop long enough to hear your voice. And every time you pursue this child to spend time with them, they immediately say, well, I I cleaned my dishes I picked up after myself. I even took out the trash. Like, what else do you want from me? I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to tell you how much I love you. I want to tell you what I think about you. This is what I think Jesus is is 
feeling here. He's not angry with these people. I don't like the, the explanation, or sorry, if you go back. That explanation, uh, ex, uh, no, you're right, you're right. I can't think of the word punctuation. Explanation. He, that explanation point, I think, is, is messes us up. He's not screaming this at him, like, get away from me. He's like, you're already so far away from me. I can't convince you to want to know me. You've chosen to not know me. They have never taken the time to receive his deep love for them. They have never desired intimacy with him as he has with them. Jesus is brokenhearted here. Everything we know about Jesus tells us that in this moment, he is brokenhearted over their distance from them, from him. This is a, this is a desperate warning that Jesus makes. And it's not just for those who speak on behalf of God, okay, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the mentors, the counselors, but for all of us. If we are not pursuing a deep intimacy with Jesus, there will be a day when we realize what we've missed. When we drifted so far from the God who loves us that he might say, I don't even know you. You haven't given me the chance to even get to know you. So how do we respond to this? Well, I don't think that Jesus wants us to be a bunch of wolf hunters. I don't think he wants us to go around looking at every pastor, every teacher, every leader with suspicion. You may have good reason to do that, but I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to do. He certainly doesn't want us to write off everyone that we disagree with as a false prophet, which some people do that as well. That's not what Jesus wants from us. Here's here's what I believe Jesus wants us to take away from this. Number one, we need deep intimacy with Jesus. It is essential. It is more important than anything else we do in the name of Jesus or in the name of Christianity or whatever you want to call it. We need deep intimacy with Jesus. We need to learn from him. We need to be rooted in his presence. We need to learn to hear his voice. He desires this sort of relationship with us, and he believes that it is what we need to experience the true life that we are created for. And the second thing here is we need to be led by people who have that deep intimacy with Jesus. One of the ways that we grow in intimacy with Jesus is by learning from others who have a deep intimacy with Jesus. A prophet or the influential voices in your life, whoever those might be, cannot lead you into intimacy with Jesus if they themselves don't have that sort of relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm I'm a big believer in that everyone needs a mentor in their life, or some people in their lives who are guiding them, who are are voices of wisdom, a sage in their lives. Older, wiser people who guide them along the way with Jesus. And many of us don't have this. Many of us don't have this. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure that a lot of us in this room do not have those voices in our lives. And I don't think that we realize what we're missing. So right now, just, just and there's been times where I've been missing that too. Right now I have three guys that I regularly are speaking into my life. And, and I honestly don't know what I would do without them. I, I really need these guys. And they all, they all add different things uh, to my life. But when I was looking for someone to invite into my life in that sort of role, when I was looking for someone to influence me and lead me in my walk with Jesus, my concern was not how successful they were. 
My concern was not if I agree with them on every little thing about life and about God. The primary factor in choosing a mentor or a coach or a pastor is do they have a deep love for Jesus? Do they know Jesus with a level of intimacy that I desire for myself? That is the kind of person that I want speaking into my life. That is the kind of person that I want to follow because I know they're going to guide me in the right way, even if I can't see the way. So I'm going to have Nicole and, and Pierce and uh, Kirk come on up here, and we're going to do some worship. But here's my challenge to each one of you uh, for this week. If you don't have a prophet in your life, okay, this, this voice in your life, people that can speak into your life in meaningful ways, if you don't have that, I want you to start looking for that person or those people and prioritize people who have an intimacy with Jesus that you crave. If they don't, if they say some quirky things that you might not agree with, like that's secondary. We'll deal with that later. Look for the person that is deeply in love with Jesus. If you cannot think of anyone in your life, uh, who might be able to become that for you, like, please come talk to me. I really believe that this is important for our community, that we, we start pressing into this. I believe that we all need this. So, again, if you're hitting a wall and you don't know where to start, like, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. I, I know some people, and I would love to introduce you. But we need these sorts of people in our lives, every single one of us. So right now, let's, uh, let's, we're going to worship together. Let's seek to know Jesus. Ask him right now in this time of worship to, to show you how you can move towards him in love and intimacy. So let's do that now. Hi, friends. Um, I'm Hannah. Charlie asked me to kind of invite everyone into communion. Um, I'm just going to share real quickly a little bit about my experience in desiring intimacy with God and when I fall short and when he's still faithful, because God is faithful. Um, you know, I think we all experience ebbs and flows in our spiritual life. The highs are high and we ride those. Um, I think a lot of the times, though, the lows can, can creep up. We, we drift towards this apathy. We drift towards this disconnection. Um, I think it could be when we're tired, when we're busy, when all these other things come in, leaning into God, um, we don't really want to do until things are really good or really bad. Um, there are times when I realize I haven't like prayed outside of with my kids, um, you know, before bed, before meals, the things you do as a parent. I haven't had my own like private prayer life months. Um, sometimes it goes on for a long time because you don't, it creeps up. So, um, and my, my times of feeling disconnected from God, again, they're not, they're not because God's not present. They're not because I don't believe. They're just because I sometimes just don't need to believe, um, which, of course, is a lie. We always need to believe. And, and, and praise God for allowing us to um, sustaining that faith in times where we don't feel it. Um, I think the times where I feel most uh, dissatisfied, um, my relationships are when I feel insecure or disconnected. It took about three years for me to um, actually be able to verbalize in my marriage. Like, I'm not feeling 
like you don't love me or that you don't like me. I just don't feel connected to you. I don't feel like we're we're on the same page, not from lack of trying, not from lack of love, but just from like, we're not putting in the effort, I guess, to remind each other that we're like, we're friends and we like each other. Um, my daughter is four and she's, she's out of this phase right now. Um, but she used to say, if you would say like, hey, Violet, you know, go play with your dolls. I gotta go, I gotta make dinner and I don't want you like on top of me while I'm dealing with a hot stove which is my everyday battle, um, she literally would say, but I just want to feel close to you. I mean, that was so sweet. Like how, I mean, Charlie, you talked about how God is just waiting for us to approach him as a father. And, and I just, I'm such an imperfect parent and I have a perfect parent. Like, why can't I just say, God, I want to be close to you all the time. Um, and so I think that there's just this, for me, my times of um, apathy are sneaky and creepy and I don't like them and they happen more often than I want. Um, but God is still faithful. Even in my um, unwillingness to reach out to him, he reaches out to me constantly, consistently with all the fervor that I could ever need. Um, so as we step into communion, I want to invite everyone just to reflection. I think um, sometimes like I don't really know what to do with communion. Um, I, I always resort to a standby of just like praying through the gospel, which is great. Do that. Um, or I pick a verse I like and I pray through it, or I just read through my sermon notes, which I don't really take anymore. Or I read through the passage or sometimes the pastor will have an application, um, that sometimes I'll pray through. I tend to be, um, really wary of like, do this based on my sermon unless it's like love God love people but um all your things were great but I tend to be very very uh very very wary of someone telling me exactly what to do um so I'm just gonna like pose some questions that um we can be praying through and also you don't have to do any of these but um these are things that that when I'm crawling back towards Jesus um on my knees these are the things that I think about um so some of the questions are do I feel close to God? Um, do I want to be close to God? I mean, sometimes we might be dealing with stuff and we're just not ready. And um, I invite you to push through that, but it's also true that you might be experiencing that. Um, what am I running to him with? And what am I running away from him with? Um, or oftentimes in my circumstance, it's, I'm not running away, but I'm not also not bringing it to him. And, and why is that? Is it because I don't think it's a big deal to him or I think I can carry it on my own? Um, is, it, is it from lack of faith or is it, um, do I not want to bother him with it? Sometimes I think we think our, our problems are trivial, but God is infinite and can take our trivial problems as well as someone else's huge problems, as well as everybody's problems at whatever size they are. Um, and so... Yeah, just, just think. Just think, God, where am I with you? Do I want to know you? Um, and how can I do that better? I think a lot of us can recite, or at least paraphrase, um, Jesus' communion instructions. Um, but you know, at, at crucifixion, Jesus gave us his body and his blood. And he, his body, which is represented by the bread, and his blood, which we use grape juice. Yeah. Um, they're spilled to take on this punishment that we deserve. Um, as souls who should be separated from him forever. Um, and 
by, by using his material body, he gave us this opportunity for a closeness and for this eternal intimacy. Um, there's no longer a barrier of sin, religion, um, or anything else that could, should deem us unworthy uh, to receive the closeness that we've been created to desire, we've been yearning for. Um, communion is a gift that Christ uh, gives us. It allows us to remember him um, and remember his love. So remembering God, saying you are God, um, that is a form of worship. Um, Hopefully we're all going to be doing that while we also sing songs, while we also share in community. Um, These are all ways to, to, with your actions, say you believe he is who he says he is. Um, So continue to lean into that. Reflect on how we can worship him greater through our submission, through our love for him. Um, So we've got a couple songs coming up. You can stand, you can sit, you can fall on your knees, you can ask someone to pray with you. You can pray by yourself. You can do whatever you need to do, but the elements will be at the table. um, And just God loves you so much. Yeah, that's all I got.